This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. This week's podcast also brought to you by Kent Cartridge and the hard-hitting Fast Steel Plus, the latest in Kent's long-standing lineup of waterfowl innovation when it comes to shot shells. Do your four-legged friend a favor and ditch the cripples by picking up a box of Fast Steel Plus available at your local retailer. I love this bar It's my kind of place Just walking through the front door Puts a big smile on my face Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome everybody into episode 713 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. A pleasure, a treat, an honor, indeed, to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So appreciate you dropping by. Uh, we've got a good one today, and I'll tell you all about it here in just a second. First, though, man, rest in peace, Toby Keith. 63 is uh, way too early to check out, but stomach cancer got him. I did see that he was at peace and was prepared to go meet his maker, uh, and that Nashville sound isn't really for me, but uh, that dude was a patriot. He loved guns. He loved his country, and he had a, he had some some good songs. I'm not gonna lie, uh, no doubt about it. So, uh, rest in peace, Mr. Keith. Um, I just got back from Nashville. Was at the SCI show in Music City, and it was epic. I mean, one big party celebrating hunting and conservation. Uh, banquets every night, connecting with friends from around the world as the entire global hunting community converged in Nashville uh, for an epic four days. And, you know, saw a 38 special and foreigner play concerts after two of the banquets. Those guys were still rocking out into their late 60s and 70s. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was awesome. Foreigner. Who would have thought I'd ever end up at a foreigner concert? But, uh, yeah, they were, they were great. Uh, truly, and, man, they have so many hits. I, I don't, I don't know why they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I read somewhere because I was, I was, I googled it after the concert. I was interested. I was like, "What is Foreigner in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Why not?" Apparently, uh, their lead guitarist, or no, maybe their original singer and the president of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame used to be friends, and they got sideways, and so he's kept them out all of these years based off of this Rolling Stone article. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. The thing that I'll take away the most from the entire weekend, long weekend, uh, was on Saturday I went to the Hunter Action Fund luncheon. And this, the HAF is basically the fundraising mechanism that keeps SCI able to work tirelessly on Capitol Hill with our elected officials as far as protecting our rights as sportsmen and, and gun owners go. And so in that room, at that luncheon, there were six active United States senators in the room. 
And it made me think, you know, I always say like the Democrat hunters is an oxymoron to me. You say you love hunting, but you vote against the thing that by and large funds it and against the Second Amendment, which it wasn't designed for hunting anyway. Uh, but that's a byproduct of it is the guns that we use, certainly for ducks, semi-automatic shotguns. These are things that are banned in Australia, right? But it was like, show me the Democratic get-together where there are six left-leaning politicians, senators, in the same room talking about how important it is for them to protect your rights as sportsmen and gun owners. And the answer is, well, that's you're not. You're not going to ever find that because it doesn't exist. And so it was, you know, it was somewhat validating uh, to, to be in that room with these high-ranking political officials who genuinely are invested in protecting our rights. So um, great time. I, if you didn't make it out to, to uh, Nashville this year, I hope you make plans to attend the show next year because uh, SCI, we did just sign a 10-year contract extension. So we will be in Music City for the foreseeable future, January 22nd through the 26th next year. Save the date. Uh, what are we doing today? Let me tell you. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pull yourself another cup of coffee out of granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to be joined by Quail Hawk. What is Quail Hawk? Well, uh, that is this dude, Tyler Sladen, who I have uh, started following on social media because of the really incredibly, I say, I would say rare dynamic of hunting upland birds with a combination of dogs and hawks. Weird, right? Uh, but awesome at the same time. So, uh, and, and he does, you know, he hunts with just the dogs sometimes, but uh, the dude is passionate about his upland bird dogs and his, uh, I think it's a goshawk that he uses. Um, and, how does this all play out? Like, what is the relationship between the dogs and the hawk, first of all? Uh, do the dogs ever get sideways with the hawk? Or do other natural predators sometimes intervene and uh, mix things up with the dogs or, or the hawk? Um, I just found it com it's, it's incredible. You should watch some of the videos. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have Tyler on here in just a little bit. And, uh, and then at the bottom of the hour... We'll take a listen to a recent uh, discussion that I taped in Nashville at the SCI convention. I sat down with Juan Magas. He is the SCI European Liaison and Dr. Miguel Estade. He's the president of the European Committee for SCI. Um, we all know that a lot of bad policy, anti-hunting legislation is introduced across the pond and then it makes its way west. It ends up uh, rearing its ugly head in North America and our European friends are fighting every day tooth and nail to make sure that their way of lives are not disrupted uh, by these animal rights movements. Uh, so looking forward to visiting with Juan and Dr. Estade coming up here in just a little bit. So that is what we're doing today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. We're going to give away an SCI membership, an annual membership here today. And we'll throw in, and I just picked one of these up at the show. Uh, no, they didn't make me pay for it, but uh, it's cool. It's a an SCI shirt. It's forest green. It's a t-shirt. And our buddy Ben Cassidy designed it. It says failure is not an option, and it has a, an image of a really pissed off K-Buffalo on the back with uh, steam coming out of its nostrils. It's a pretty sweet shirt, but we'll 
We'll uh, include the shirt and the annual SCI membership. Uh, total value is about 100 bucks here. Uh, but yeah, and if you're not a member, hey, join our ranks over at safariclub.org. To enter the giveaway, just uh, text in Buffalo. That's Buffalo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered to win. I guess you have to email, not text, but uh, you get the point. Coming up next, uh, we'll grab a couple good bird dogs and our favorite goshawk and do a little upland hunting with Tyler Slayton on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. What do you come back to me? In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Finally got the clue You don't act like you used to Every time we're out I know it's a lie One more to the grave Gabriel Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Love to the Grave, the name of that one from Gavin Adcock, uh, thanks to my buddy Kevin Dennis of Jacksboro, Texas, for the recommendation there. Great tune. Um, we're all set to talk goshawks and bird dogs. Interesting combo, right, uh, with Tyler Sladen. This segment of the show, though, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You know, uh, deer season might have come and gone, so it's time to think about next fall, and you've got a five or six-year-old kiddo that you want to introduce into deer hunting, you need to get a big chingone or a little chingone. Big chingone, that's the family size blind. Uh, the Smith family of five fits in that thing comfortably. It's quiet. It's got you know cup holders and shelves, and it's carpeted, so relatively quiet, all things considered with kiddos, right? But uh, yeah, our family absolutely loves ours, and whether you go for the big chingone or the little chingone, your kid is going to be comfortable they're going to be dry and they are going to be all about it you can find the big and little chingone right there at allseasonsfeeders.com well let's go ahead and bring him on right now joining us from somewhere in the land of enchantment it's my pleasure to welcome tyler sladen to the show thanks for having me yeah it's my pleasure my pleasure so you're joining us from albuquerque new mexico yes sir cool i've spent uh a lot of time in new mexico from uh, trout fishing to grouse hunting. And I've talked about this evolution on the show before, but I started going to New Mexico backpacking with my dad and we would go trout fishing. And then I was like, look at all these grouse out here. Why are we not, why am I, why don't have a, why don't have a shotgun? Yeah. So then I started packing a 12 gauge. Then I was like, wow, look at all these elk and mule deer. And, you know, a couple years later, I was putting in for the draw and I think I've drawn two mule deer tags i don't put in for mule deer every year uh and then i think four archery elk tags in the last mm, 12 years or so so I mean, that's, a lot pretty, of time there. that's pretty good for a non-resident to draw here yeah yeah uh i shot actually this bull right here i shot with my bow in 
well, we won't say the unit, but I drew that tag. Um, but yeah, I love New Mexico, man. It's a beautiful state and uh, rich in wildlife and hunting uh, tradition. And it seems like you are continuing uh, to carry on that, that heritage. Uh, are you from New Mexico originally? No, I'm not. Um, I'm actually from Massachusetts. Um, so I moved here. I've lived all over, but before here, I lived in Missouri. And before that, I lived in Texas and Germany. So, Oh, wow. Where in Texas? Uh, I was stationed at Fort Hood. Oh, well, thanks for your service. And uh, when I was stationed there, I lived over in Temple. Uh-huh. Oh, so. cool. Um, so did you grow up hunting? Yeah, I grew up hunting, um, shooting beagles with my family, and or uh, not shooting beagles, shooting rabbits over beagles, and uh-huh. uh, shooting deer and turkeys. So I, I know nothing about Massachusetts hunting culture. So rabbit hunting is a big deal there. Used to be um, uh, Massachusetts. I mean, super left leaning state. Not really, not really the biggest hunting state. But um, what's cool about Massachusetts is if if it's not marked um, and you're 50 yards off or 75 yards off a road, you can bow hunt it. So we grew up, the access was never really a problem, you know, because you could deer hunt kind of pretty much wherever you want because there's no cattle out there. So there's not fences. It's just not the culture to fence wooded parcels off, you know, out there. So uh-huh. it wasn't really, not a lot of people hunt, but it wasn't really like, I don't know people weren't trying to shut it down either like it was yeah. always out of people's face you know mm-hmm. so, but then the fishing there is huge obviously but uh, yeah. the deer hunting um i mean if you want to go have a good time shooting whitetail and not really worry about access new england's a great state for it yeah so how long have you been interested in falconry uh a little over a decade now um but I've been chasing quail for the last seven years. Okay. And so talk about that. And and I have spent some time, um, well, not, not a lot of time, but I've gone on probably three hunts with peregrines. We were duck hunting and okay. uh, it's cool. It's like a, you know, social sport. You get out the binos, find a pond that has ducks on it. And then you put the peregrine up and sneak over the tank dam and, you can incorporate a dog if you want them to be the one that flushing the ducks up, but the peregrine's up there and it just swoops down and catches a duck or knocks it out of the air. And then before you can and, get there, it, he's on it and starting to yeah, eat. And, it, then, right? and that, so that, so in falconry, there's, I mean, falconry is such an encompassing term. So in falconry, that's what we would refer to as long winging um, or flying like a wing on falcon. Um, so yeah. And once they flush that duck and catch that duck, like that's, that's their whole day. Like that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, what I do is very different. Um, so I'm cutting, cutting across the desert, um, following bird dogs, waiting until they go on point. And uh, I've got a, a goshawk on my fist and quail come up, goshawk slams in behind them and tail chases quail, pheasant, grouse. Um, so what I can do is a little bit more versatile in a sense that I can kind of go anywhere that has upland birds and chase any of the upland birds um but like a good long hunt for me is like two to three hours whereas like a long wing hunt like 15 minutes is kind of kind of it you know oh yeah that bird goes back in the truck and you got to get another one if you're going to keep yeah yeah they refer to it as like like i only got one bullet they mean like i only got one falcon to fly whereas uh one goshawk is 
is enough. Like I can, I could push him to four hours if I want to. And I don't really, I don't really, really want to hunt him that long anyway. So, so what, why a goshawk and where, where are goshawk, uh, where are they from originally? So goshawks are circumpolar. Um, so they're all across Europe, all across, uh, East Asia, all across North America. Um, Mm. however, in the United States, they're native, I mean, technically they can show up anywhere, um, but where they nest, their breeding range is mountains in New Mexico, mountains, Arizona, deep, mature pines of Wyoming, Montana, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, those are the states they're known for nesting in and all pretty much all the Western states. But as far as like Eastern states, it's like Maine, New York, um, like the Northwood states, uh, Michigan, Minnesota, those, those areas. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had a, a long standing love affair with birds of prey. And I remember going on a family vacation to Carlsbad caverns and just watching the bats come out at night and all of these hawks up in the sky, just picking off these bats. It was so cool to see. And I was, you know, I don't know. I was probably like 11, 10, 11. Yeah. And that's my dad and I had the birds of North America book and we would mark every time we saw not just a bird of prey, but, those were the ones that got me the most excited. We'd mark where we saw it, you know, the date and everything. Um, and, and that was just kind of one of these things we, that we bonded over as kids. It didn't lead me to take up falconry, uh, but, you know, I think it's super cool. And when I came across your Instagram, I was like, well, this is different from what I've seen, you know, whether it's brush beaters chasing rabbits with hawks or uh, the, the duck hunting like I had experienced. I hadn't seen anyone chasing quail. Um, so I thought that I thought that was super cool. Where do you get the goshawk? Is it uh, is it a wild trapped one or is it captive bred? So the last one I flew, he was he was a pure North American pulled from the wild. He came from the mountains of New Mexico. Um, he came out of he came out of the mountains. I found the nest myself, pulled pulled him, raised him. Um, and I flew him for a number of years, and he unfortunately passed away um, two years ago. And then I took a year off. Cause he passed away like right before you're kind of getting ready for the next season. And I was just like, I don't know. I was kind of devastated about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a year off, focus on the dogs, kind of yeah. go, go accomplish things that the birds always got in the way of. So the bird I have now was, he came from a breeder. He's a, he's the Russian subspecies of Gossok. Okay. Uh-huh. So he comes from uh Western Russia. Hmm. So, so and that is, he's just bigger, um, bigger. Just, yeah, just bigger. Same same kind of bird. He's just bigger. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what is the I have no idea because I, you know, I've purchased hunting dogs over the years, labs. Uh I love duck hunting. And I know what the going rate is for a good pedigree, right? Yeah. What does a freaking bird of prey cost? And I'm sure that it's just like dogs, it's a spectrum of pedigrees as wide as you want to make it. But do you buy them or do people in this community more apt to give them to you? I have no idea how that works. It's kind of weird because you make them too expensive and people will just go get wild ones, you know, because we can't. That's something we can do in North America. It's it's a cool thing where most Europeans can't go pull wild birds like other than like Ireland and a few other like small countries. Um, North American falconry is one of the few places um, that we can still as falconers to trap wild birds. So um it's actually surprisingly cheap like it's a lot less work to breed dogs and make like 
not make money, but like not drown in drown in them. Whereas breeding birds is like a labor of love. Like you're lo- almost most people I know that breed birds lose money and I don't even know why they do it. Um, I, when I first got into falconry, I saw one of the falconers that was near me. He was big into breeding birds and I never understood what he liked about it. Like he was just losing money and lots of like heartbreak and mm. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you can get Harris Hawks captive bred for 500 to $800. Um, all the way to $25,000 exotic eagles, like ornate hawk eagles, martial eagles. Um, and then you get into the Arab market of falcons. I mean, they get up around a quarter of a million. Can I buy a harpy eagle? Uh, if there was one captive bred, yes. Um, I don't know anyone captive breeding them. Hmm. So. I've always thought they were awesome, just like killing monkeys in the Amazon. Yeah, like the Peregrine Fund owns some and. I, someday maybe there might be some available in the public, but I, I highly doubt it. Um, but there's a lot of other eagles that are available, like African hawk eagles, uh, African crowned eagles, um, burrow eagles, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they're all about like 25, 30 grand. So. so, but but by and large, if you're breeding birds of prey, <laughs> you're not making a lot of money. Like I don't know anyone getting rich on it, really. Um yeah. The only people that really make money on it breed falcons for the Arab market overseas. Uh-huh. And even that's kind of like kind of gone away. Like the glory days of that are not really what they were once. Mm-hmm. So um, let's see. I asked you about where these goshawks are native to. I didn't know they were that widespread. I don't think I've ever seen one in Texas. I don't know if they make it this far. That, no, if, if one showed up in Texas, it would be a big deal. Like there'd be birders chasing it around. Um, and I'm sure they fly through. I mean, they go all the way down into Mexico. Um, okay. But they're they're typically, they prefer cold weather, um, mm-hmm. which Texas is not really known for. So right. like even here in Albuquerque, even though they nest 30, 40 minutes from my house, um, we won't really see maybe one or two until like this time of year, like during the polar vortex or if there's like a pile of snow on the mountains, they'll come down off their mountains, but they tend to stay in heavily wooded pine areas. So what are their favorite food sources then squirrels? Um, Yeah. Abert squirrels, red squirrels, pine squirrels, downy woodpeckers, um, pigeons like band-tailed pigeons. Um, They love forest grouse, stuff like that. Okay. Blue grouse, like that's blue grouse is like number one enemy is goshawk. So like dusty grouse, the grouse you were talking about earlier. Oh yeah, and dude, I love dude. blue grouse is some of the best eating bird. I might be the best. I don't know. I absolutely love it. White meat. And- oh, I love them. Um, I didn't used to really have much for like because I was like, if you're shooting them, they're not really the brightest bird on earth. However, my buddy killed one with a rock. I don't know if that's yeah. legal, but but he he came back to camp and I was I had a shotgun. I don't think I got one. And he comes back to camp and I was like, I thought you were fishing. Why is that grouse in your hand? He's like, oh, I just picked up a rock and smacked it. Yeah, and that's that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's their reputation. I'm not extinct, I don't know. but Yeah, God bless however, I tried to catch one with a goshawk a couple of seasons uh-huh. ago and it turned into the smartest bird I've ever seen. It flew through the woods like a TIE fighter. It was, um, the way they react to a natural predator is just so different. And that's the, yeah, when I saw that for the first time in person, I was like, whoa, like I didn't even know it could fly like that. So did your experience growing up hunting rabbits 
over beagles. And I've done that one time. I was actually, I was rabbit hunting on Lake Ray Roberts with my lab. We were just out there messing around and she'll retrieve whatever you shoot. Yeah. And I came across this dude and he had like five or six beagles. And so I started talking to him and I was like, can we like tag along? He's like, of course. And so that was the only time I'd ever hunted over beagles. Uh, super fun. It, ironically, I, my family had a beagle when we were growing up, but we didn't, we didn't hunt it or anything. Um, but did that experience in your, you know, early years lead to your love of, of gun dogs, hunting dogs? Um, it made me appreciate it. It didn't really, it didn't really lead there. You know, like now I look back on it, like it's an, a lot, like it's a memory I hold closer to me now a lot better than I used to, you know, like I, now that I'm more into dogs than I was in like my teens and early twenties. So like now that I have my own dogs in my own kennel, you know, like it's like cool to look back at that, but no, um, when I, when I got into falconry, that's what kind of got me back into dogs. And then from there, I just, just the longer I'm in falconry, the more I appreciate the dog side of it too. So. Interesting. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's kind of what my question was. Was it the falconry or the, the gun dogs that came first? So for you, it was the, the bird, but I do want to talk about the gun dogs and how they interact with the goshawk uh, after the break, because I think that's going to be very interesting. That segment was brought to you by Numa Outdoors and the Heated Core. Yeah, uh, hunting season might be in the rearview mirror for a lot of us, but uh, we are doing a family trip to uh, the ski slopes coming up here for spring break, and I'll be wearing that Heated Core. Yeah, it's a uh, multi-use because you never know how cold it's going to be on the mountain, but I will be nice and warm in the deer blind or on the slopes with the Heated Core. Runs off a lithium battery. They've got pants and a vest to keep your core nice and toasty. And you can find the heated core at numaoutdoors.com. Use the promo code LONESTAR20 and save 20% off your entire NUMA order. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Let me with high hopes and low expectations. A little of both to keep my sanity. Experience a new world after dark with Armorsight's night vision and thermal optics. Precision meets adventure. Whether you're a hunter or explorer, make the night yours. Upgrade your vision now by visiting Armorsight.com for more information. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Cause your smile's about as wide as Texas And your picture on my dash keeps me moving so fast They'll pass up to Memphis I used to carry this load all along And never get to where I was going One of my favorites there from a boy named Banjo Heart in Motion Bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Presented by Mossberg Firearms Cable Smith riding shotgun with you, and we're still visiting with the quail hawker himself, Tyler Slayton. Before we dive back into that discussion, this segment 
is brought to you by Armasite. Uncover the mysteries after dark with Armasite. Our thermal imaging scopes redefine exploration. From wildlife to nightscapes, witness the unseen. See clearer, see further. Armasite, where every night is an adventure. Visit armasite.com for more info. All right, Tyler, thanks for sticking around. Uh, let's talk about your gun dogs. Uh, what what breed are you partial to? Um, I've got mostly setters, and then my wife's got short hairs. How many then, do y'all have? Uh, we've got 12 bird dogs total. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, you guys are you're in it thick. Yeah, the, awesome. the desert here really beats them up, and a lot of people hear me say that until they come visit and bring their own dogs and see them limping on day three of a hunting trip they don't i don't really understand it but like um you got to rotate three dogs here if you want i mean falconry season is a 180 day season oh. so if you want to make it to the end with the same dogs you got to give them breaks um i don't care what dog it is they need breaks <laughs> mm-hmm. i had one experience where my dog got beat up in new mexico probably her worst injury that she ever had and that was we were we were grouse hunting up around Taos, and uh, we came back to the to camp, and I was like, "What? Where? Where? Where's all this blood coming from?" And um, I, and I so I'm, I was like, "Am I bleeding?" No, okay. So I look at the dog, and like she has this huge gash on her chest, and luckily it didn't like get into her vitals, but it, it sure was nasty. And so I I called a vet there and sent him a picture, like, "How old's your dog?" And I was like, "She's eight. Like, well, you know, the the older the dog, the more expensive it's going to be. And I, for whatever reason, if they have yeah, to sedate them or something, never heard that in my life. that's what they told me. Yeah. And so I called my wife and I was like, this, I was like, Belle, like, got jammed up by a stick, cut her pretty bad. And she's like, send me the picture. She's a nurse practitioner. She's like, just super glue it. Yeah. So that's what she got. <laughs> and then yeah. we kept hunting and she was fine. Um, yeah. A lot of people forget that like super glue's invention, like the original purpose of super glue was exactly that. Like it was a world war like invention. Like I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. It um people call me all the time, like, oh my dog's bleeding profusely from the ear to the tail. I'm like, just throw some super glue on it. They're like, Really? And I'm like, Yeah, it works. Yeah. So I and I so we went back the next day and kind of ran the same track that we had been on when she got hurt. And she was fine, uh, once the bleeding stopped. And I found the stick that stabbed her. Like it was very obvious because there's a blood, a bunch of blood on it. Yeah, like a punji kit. But yeah, she was fine. Just had a little scar there. Um, so, as far as the relationship between the two, you you had the hawk, and you were like, I need to add the bird dog element. Do the two get along well? I imagine the dogs are probably more affable I, I just my experience with the, the falconers that i hunted with they were like the falcon tolerates us that's the deal like i don't yeah. know maybe the, maybe the hawk is different but um you know the dogs obviously love you and that they want to please us birds probably not so much this one's always fun to explain it, it's kind of like a sibling relationship so like the bird is like the younger sibling that can do no wrong uh-huh. and the dogs just have to tolerate it and even if even if the younger sibling like whoops on them they still got to tolerate it it'd be like a big brother having a little sister like uh, you're not gonna beat her up like no matter how hard she smacks you like you just gotta eat it and uh, uh, that's kind of the dog's role the big brother um 
because the bird will get frustrated and they'll hit the dog. They'll grab the dog. And really, you have to trust that dog to not react. Um, and you better not react. Like, no matter what happens, they're not allowed to react. And so, um, the dogs, yeah, the, the dogs know how to work as a team. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know if they, they view the team any different than they view like a shotgun. Like they're just like, whatever, this is just part of hunting. Like we just deal with this bully bird that beats up on me every now and then. <laughs> some dogs like it more than others. Like some of my setters, like they're pretty ambivalent to it, but like I've got a Vizsla and a Yag Terrier that both love the Hawk. Like they know that like maybe if the Hawk misses, they might get to catch it every now and then. And like, they love that. And they also like, they know that things will come in and mess with the hawk and they're allowed to mess those things up. So like if a raven or a coyote comes in, they're like, we're going to mess that up. Like, uh, like this is, and like the Yag Terrier and the Vizsla together, it's like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, like, like, or Scrappy. I mean, and Yag's like Scrappy-Doo. Like, oh, well, let me add them. Um, so like, they you, like that. You've had coyotes come in and try to kill the bird? Uh, countless times. Um, I've, the amount of coyotes I've had come within 25 feet of me and my bird is is through the roof um i mean you gotta think like what does a predator call it's a screaming rabbit um and it's what that's doing is and the reason rabbits do it is to call in other things to come mess up whatever's hurting them and hope that they can kind of get away in like the mix-up um so your hawk catches a rabbit coyotes will come beelining in because it's a real rabbit screaming especially jack rabbits oh my god Mm -hmm. you can hear them for hundreds of yards so so you hunt rabbits too with with your goshawk um, not on purpose, but I mean, they're, they're definitely bycatch um, predators. So that if yeah, like, a rabbit, like, yeah, okay. that's the thing with falcon, especially a goshawk. Like if a rabbit r- jumps up in my feet and takes off running, like it's going to, the hawk's going to chase it. So mm-hmm. he definitely has a preference for quail, but he, if he sees a rabbit, he's going to chase a rabbit. Is that a learned behavior preferring quail or is that, is that eventually? In the beginning, no. In the beginning, not really. But over time, they really learn what they're out there for. Because in the beginning, they chase a little bit of everything, uh-huh. and then, I mean, you start only catching quail and rabbits. That's all they start chasing. Because um, in the beginning, like they'll chase non, um, non game birds like larks and other goofy stuff. I saw a peregrine kill a black vulture one time. Yeah, these hunts, and it was not like the guy was like freaking out because the vultures, you know, three times it's four, five times its size. Yeah, they killed it, and the bird, the falcon was fine, but he's like, I was like, so does that happen frequently? He's like, no, but it happens. Not maybe yeah. not with a vulture, but they they get messed up with things they're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like, I mean, you're out there 180 days a year, or even say 120 to be like more modest, but like. 100 plus days a year you're out there like you're gonna see some goofy stuff over time so like i've had birds catch owls and road runners and larks and toehees and all sorts of weird stuff herons um so unlike like a regular like like you don't there's no penalty for catching like the bird just catches what it if that happens it's it's a great that we have what's called the leave it lay law so like if my bird grabs an owl like it's my job to get my bird off that owl and try to get it away unharmed however if he starts eating on and he has it killed by the time i get there like as long as you leave it don't take possession of it like you're you're good Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not really something you should do like on intentionally right you're not doing it on purpose yeah yeah you're not doing it on purpose um and like 
I don't think I've ever had an owl not be able to fly away after it's been caught or something like that. Like it's, I can kick, I can get quail away alive. if My bird catches one. Like they're, they take a while to kill stuff. Like they're not, they're not, they don't like pull out a knife and slit their throat and kill them right away. Like they usually pluck feathers and fight with it. And there's time for you to get there and help out whatever it is. So, uh-huh. so when you're hunting quail and the goshawk catches one, do you, let him feed on that first one or how does that successful hunt play out so he'll catch one generally like so if it's caught in the air he'll kind of glide with it and what he's doing he's looking for a safe area to land with it because every bird of prey in the area and raven is now looking at they can tell when a bird is carrying food Mm -hmm. and that's their cue to come rob them so he's looking for an area to set down usually like a bush or like a like under like a juniper or something like that so then i'll get over there and generally he'll just be laying with it. He won't even he won't even do anything until I get within 30 feet. And then he knows I'm going to try to take it from him or mess with him. And he'll start to pluck it. And by plug it, he'll pull, he'll grab one feather at a time and flick them. And I kind of let him pluck some feathers. He doesn't mess up the meat or anything. He doesn't like, you could give him 20 minutes and he's not even going to mess up meat. Mm. Then I'll have probably a quail from the day before cut and cleaned and weighed so i know how much i'm feeding them and then i'll lay it down next to what he's plucking he'll hop off whatever he's plucking and jump onto the cleaned meat he knows he's not dumb he knows this is way less work i don't have to pluck this open like thank you and it's called a trade-off and then Uh so i'll take the quail he caught and feed him the quail he caught yesterday like a weighed out piece Uh so generally uh, the limited falconry quail is three so he usually eats six. He usually eats eighty to one hundred grams a day. So I just divide, um, three by or a hundred grams by three, and then that's what he gets for each catch. Okay. So by the third catch, he's eating his daily ration, and we're done. And so you don't have to weigh the the bird before you take him hunting. Like these guys would weigh. No, the you bird do. And, oh, you do. Yeah. So generally, once you get in a groove, you don't really have to. Like you can kind of. You can get lackadaisical with it, but I mean, if you weigh the food, how much goes in every day and you're yeah. at the same time every day, like I can just feed them a hundred grams a day. And like, I, I could never look at a scale again if I don't want to. I mean, I check anyways, just cause I like to know. Cause it, it kind of sucks to go out there with, if he starts acting weird, you're like, maybe he's a little heavier than I thought, you know? So. Okay. Tyler, let's knock out a break here. We'll come back. I want to find out where you store, where, where does this bird live? You've got to build something for him, I'm sure. And there's probably strict regulations on that. And then we'll find out if you have any goals you want to achieve uh, with this style of hunting and possibly quail recipes as well. All that coming at you after the break. That segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. Here's the thing. I've got a, I've got a discount code for Euro Optic. It's 10% off. But right now, Euro Optic has all of their Vortex scopes binos, everything. They're all 20% off already. So like uh, Vortex Venom, typically $600 scope, on sale for $399. Plus you use my discount code LONESTAR10 when you check out another 10% off. So you can stack them. It's like 30% off, y'all, right there at eurooptic.com. And uh, yeah, the Venom's what I, I tell you. It's what all the kids have on their rifles. I like it so much. I've put it on mine. It's a five the 25 by 56, 34 millimeter tube. And it's not just the Venom. All of the SKUs are discounted, and then you get that 10% off. So check it out. Lone Star 10 when you shop at eurooptic.com. Big savings right now for a limited time. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Crazy moon, keep 
Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. It's alright till you lose your mind So save your time while it's cheap When the sun is bright and the breeze is kind You got what it takes to be free Brand new stuff there from an artist I just discovered this past week Absolutely love his sound, Dylan Gossett To Be Free, the name of that one I'm Cable Smith Thanks for tuning in to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. This segment is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms. So, I don't know, maybe you've got a goshawk and some bird dogs. And uh, once the goshawk has had his fill, now it's just you and the dogs. And that's when you're going to grab that 940 Pro Field. It's Mossberg's latest semi-auto-loading platform. The 940 Pro Field comes in a 12-gauge, 28-inch barrel. And, man... You can get it in a Woodstock or synthetic, your choice. And you can find this bad boy at Mossberg.com, America's oldest family-owned firearm manufacturer. All right, well, let's pick it back up with Tyler Sladen, who was nice enough to stick around for one more segment. Tyler, talk about what it, where this bird lives. What does it take to build an aviary for these things? So the federal requirements at a minimum are 8 by 8 by 8 with vertical barred windows. Uh, you don't want like chain link window. You don't want like hardware cloth windows because their tail feathers will get messed up on it or their feet can get mm-hmm. stuck. So, and then you reverse the studs are generally on the outside. So on the inside, it's all smooth. So there's nothing for them to hit or get hurt with. And that's pretty much it. Um, some states are a little bit more specific. Um, so generally, you want um, a double door system. So that when you go through a door, close it, and then go through the next door, so that escapes don't happen. Um, that's kind of escapes. Does he come back? It depends. I mean, if it's July and he's hog fat and hasn't been hunted since February, uh, it's going to be a rough go. Um, if he was to get out right now at hunting way, I could just throw down his lure and he'd come down to it. So it just depends. Huh. When you're hunting, does he have an antenna on him? He wears like a GPS tracker. Okay. That syncs up with my phone. I can see where he's at. Uh-huh. Um, so once so a typical day hunting for you. I mean, you've got these dogs, twelve dogs, you've got one hawk. Once the hawk does his uh duties and catches the three quail, do you put him up and continue hunting with the dogs and, and grab a twenty gauge? Generally I'll hunt like three to dark with him, like so the last two hours of the day. So what I'll do most days is if I have the full day and I don't work that day, I, uh, I'll gun hunt with young dogs and then break for lunch and then pull, pull the hawk out at like two thirty, three o'clock mm-hmm. and then until dark. Hmm. Okay. How does the wind factor into the equation with the hawk? 
Um, very much so. I mean, for a number of reasons. I mean, it, it, the wind changes how quail behave. It changes how the dogs can scent. And it changes how your hawk can fly. So the more wind, the more your hawk's weight needs to be dialed. But then the dogs have the advantage because they can wind quail from a uh, hundred yards away, you know? So, um, the thing people, so if you're hunting rabbits, the wind is a huge disadvantage. However, if you're hunting quail or pheasant, if you've got an experienced hawk, the wind is, it's an equal playing field. Like they got to fly too. Um, whereas rabbits don't have to fly in the wind. They, they, they just, they just run, they run straight into the wind and your hawk has to fly into a headwind. Mm. Uh, and that's how they, that's how rabbits win. Whereas like pheasant and quail, they're going to fly into the wind and then turn downwind and try to peel your bird off in the wind. But if your bird knows that move, he's going to follow them and he's going to, he's going to go just as fast as they are in that wind. Um, every now and then you'll get a quail that tries to fly into a headwind and it's hilarious. It's like, it's like almost like nothing's moving except your hawk is slowly getting closer, <laughs> not making any progress as your hawk like inches towards them. And it'll just like happen right in front of your face. It's, huh. it's, um, wind. I don't really like hunting in heavy wind. However, some of the best falconry I've seen happens in heavy wind because they just do stuff they never do before. Hmm. So are any of these birds that you're hunting with the goshawk, are, are any of those species actually faster than him? No, he... he's faster than all of them. However, they're quicker. Huh. I mean, they can get up to speed and put on maneuvers faster than he can, like, he needs, I mean, he's a little bit bigger for a goshawk, so he needs, he needs them to stay in the air for him to get up to speed by, but by then they've already put a gap on him. So then he's got to close that distance back up. Um, so they need to stay in the air for him to do that. Um, and by then they've probably already made it to cover or put a tree between them or flown over a hill. And so they, they have a lot of moves that you wouldn't think. Um, I'd say the average, the average quail chase with a hawk in tow is four to 500 yards. Mm, on wow. That's a lot farther than I would have thought. Yeah. And when you're shooting at them, they don't, they don't fly anywhere near that far. So I love taking gun hunters out that have hunted them with a gun and then they see how they fly with a hawk. They fly twice as fast and twice as far. And they're like, Whoa, I didn't even know quail could do that. And so the quail like, knows that the hawk's behind him. Oh, they know, they know right away. Everything changes once they know that hawk's there. Oh, interesting dynamic. Uh, what is his success rate? I mean, how often is he is he catching something? Um, with the bird, and, and does the does the hawk do the flushing? So the dogs are on point. No, I do the flushing, or I'll use okay. the dog, like okay. I'll the terrier to flush off dog point. Uh-huh. Catch percentage, it, it's really terrain dependent. Um, I'd say across the board. I mean, I've chased all, I've chased five of the six quail species with the bird I have now, and I'd say. I'd say one to four to one to five is pretty, pretty normal. Hmm. So like good chases. So like one out of every five good chases is pretty normal. I mean, we'll have good days where like he catches, he goes two for two, but like that's not the norm. Yeah. So yeah. there's days where he just goes zero for four. Yeah. There's days he'll go zero for 10. Like it's just, it just happens. Like you're dealing with an animal that's trained to hunt for, food that you give them like he and you don't there's no aversives in falconry like everything is positive training like it's all it's all reward-based training so there's you can't be like you can't scold a bird like 
Like you oh, messed yeah, up. Yeah, he's not gonna put up with that. He's like, all right. Yeah, no, that's, well, that's exactly it. Like he's not a dog. He's not. There's no way to scold him. There's no way to. There's no escape training. Like it's all reward based and just. You're, you're frustrated, but you're like, good job, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, there's no. There's really no nothing you can do. Um, it, it definitely teaches you patience because like, and then you you learn to read your bird. Like there's days you pull him out of the box before a hunt, and you're like, we're gonna kill some stuff. Like you you can just see it in them. Mm-hmm. And then there's days you pull them out and like this is gonna be a, this might be an interesting day. Hmm. Well, so you you actually fly the hawk at the end of the day, um, and you're you're still hunting with your young dogs. It seems like though, if you get on a big covey, and, do you, and when the bird misses, do you ever feel like that was a waste? All the or, time. I mean, that's probably or oh, you do feel like that. Or I was gonna say maybe that's just the uh, oh, it's. Know, the part of falconry like that's a, just like you know you beat your head against the wall, but you, you it's just the it is the that's the gig, and that's exactly it. You're you're chasing this perpetual dragon. Like you leave the house with this like this vision of how it's gonna go. You're like this dog's gonna point, this dog's gonna back. I'm gonna call in this other dog for the flush. Hawk's gonna grab it in my face, and the amount of times it goes that way is so little. <laughs> <laughs> but like a lot of stuff that happens is still cool. It, I've caught. I'm probably coming up on a thousand quail caught over the years in falconry and it's always different. It's, it is never the same. Like there's flights that are kind of similar, but there's just so many variables in it. Like, and the, the terrain changes so much about it too. Like the other day we were flying Montezuma quail um, and my bird caught two in a row, but like they were off like these huge six, 700 foot hills and he was just catching them out over the valleys and it was just it was crazy it was one of my it was just a great day and then you have to go down to him yeah but like you you're so high on adrenaline at that point you don't even care i feel that's what how i would describe getting to the tree on a mountain lion hunt yeah or like oh my i have to go up that thing to get to the tree well yeah well the the dogs tree the cat where the dogs tree the cat and you have to go there like there's yeah, no that, other option. that's our that's our like what are you what's the other option um running on adrenaline I, yeah i try to explain i'm like it's like shooting a trophy buck and that trophy bucks down the bottom of that valley like hmm. you're not even gonna you won't even remember the walk there i promise but like it's different when it's your bird too yeah um, yeah I, I get so damn excited every time like it, what's the, your bird's uh, name jimmy dean jimmy dean yeah like the Breakfast. Oh, that's cool. What would you say is your favorite recipe? I mean, you're you're obviously hunting quail all all the time, but so what is your favorite quail recipe? I like like little stuffed quail, like little roasted stuffed quails, man. Like mm-hmm. where they look like a mini like rotisserie chicken. Like that's yeah hard to be. Where you just like like it's an activity food. Like you're sitting there picking it apart. Like, what do you stuff it with? Like stuffing, like little like a little mini turkey. Nice that one or just it's hard to beat fried quail too like i just i i'm i i'm a fat kid at heart i love fried food i uh and we most in in texas we have mostly bob whites and in the south and for in west we have blue quail um that's pretty much it and the blue quail don't want to cooperate with a dog but the bob whites do and the blue quail want to run but whatever it is I've I found that the legs sometimes are my favorite and I like to fry those and then toss them in buffalo sauce, like wing sauce. 
Yeah. And then uh, I don't. Do you guys have Wingstop in New Mexico? Yeah. So I think they have the best ranch on the planet, and so I won't even go get their wings. I just go and get like three or four of their just sides of ranch. I'm like you just want ranch? I'm like, yeah, just just give me the ranch because I'm eating way better. I'm eating quail. It's better than your chicken wings anyway. <laughs> Uh, but that's like my favorite all time. Uh, I've never heard movie. someone like hold a wing stop condiment in that regard. That's like me with uh, Outback Steakhouse is honey mustard, man. It's just mm. on a level. It's that good. I don't know what, it is. wherever they get it, it's good. And I don't know if they <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Um, what is, uh, let's see, what do, do you have any goals that you haven't accomplished yet with the, the dog hawk? combo team i want to catch a prairie chicken over dog points so bad uh-huh. and yeah, so prairie- where what state i mean some states they're protected i don't i don't i don't even know so the lessers are protected so lessers through new mexico texas um western uh-huh. kansas are protected but graders eastern kansas nebraska south dakota you can you can chase graders okay they're the fastest upland bird by far and like i want to catch one so bad like, they're fast wow yeah, that's like that's like the Super Bowl of falconry, like just catching a prairie chicken. What about a sage grouse? Those things are pretty dang big. They're uh, there's falconers that chase them. Um, they're definitely fast when they get up to speed, but they're not like they're not like a prairie chicken. I'll I'll say this, and this is I mean this is highly debated in falconry. More falconers catch sage grouse than catch prairie chickens. Huh. There's a, like there's a reason. That's got to be the biggest grouse species. I mean they're they're. Oh, by far, huge, pretty dang, big bomber male is like six pounds. Your bird could kill one though. Yeah, you could catch one. You haven't done that yet though. Not a big bomber, no. Well, the the difference between a big male sage grouse and a hen sage grouse is very stark. Really, Uh, it's like I mean, have you seen blue grouse next to the hens? Like big blue grouse next to the hen? Way different. Well, so I, I've never hunted sage grouse, but I was on a mountain lion hunt in Colorado, and that was the first time I saw one. And I got up, my camera was taking pictures, and I was like. I mean, I knew what they were, but I had no idea how big those things were. They're like hen turkey size. They're, they're yeah. big. Massive, massive bird. What are your uh, social media outlets? Or I don't know if you have a YouTube channel, but uh, I, I think I found you on, on Instagram, but Quail Hawk. Yeah, the Quail Hawk on Instagram. I don't really, I don't know. I've tried to be a YouTube person. I'm just not a YouTube person. Like, I'll put like a video up every year, like maybe. Hey, that sounds like me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's just people that are so good at it, and I just I, I don't know. I'll put like our video up on YouTube, and it'll get like you know 100 views. So it's just like I got. That's how mine do. Like I'm like, man, I could for all this work, I could have just thrown it on Facebook, and everyone saw it. And so, what's uh, your Facebook then? Uh, it's just Tyler Slayton. Right on. But Instagram's Quail Hawk. Y'all check it out. Uh, fascinating stuff, man. Like I said, saw saw what you were up to and, and thought this would make a good conversation, and it, it certainly has. Uh, thanks for your time today, and I, I will continue to follow along in your adventures, and who knows, maybe someday uh, I'll uh, head to New Mexico and, and tag along and take it all in for myself. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm inviting myself, but, you know. No, you're welcome. I, I mean, <laughs> tell everybody, I mean. You know, that's one, really one of the cool things about uh, falconers and uh, that, that I've noticed is they want to grow their sport, and they're all pretty down to earth people, and they're like, "Yeah, sure, come on. It's a show. It's a social thing anyway. You don't really have to be quiet, or you know, it's no. As long as you keep up and you can, you can clap your hands and yell the whole time. I don't care. Mm-hmm. 
Does New Mexico have a falconry association that you're a member of? Uh, we've got like a like a I don't know glorified club. It's nothing nothing serious. Um, right. It's just it's like a group chat that we meet up like twice a year. Like it's okay. it's, it's it's not a formal club. Like Texas has a very formal club, um, and the Texas Hawking Association is definitely worth getting in touch with, and they're very open to having new people show up and tag along, even if they don't even want to be a falconer. Um, so they they have meets two to three times a year in Texas. Oh yeah. Usually, they they come to things like our uh Ducks Unlimited banquets and they bring the Falcons and Yeah, Sheldon Nicole and Jay Lemer and all them. They're usually yeah, the ones. Sheldon and Jay are the two that I've gone hunting with for sure. Yeah. I've known Sheldon for a long I've known Sheldon like twelve years. Sheldon's one of the people that got me into it. Oh really? Wow. He used to have a falcon named Dora that I watched kill. I hunted with Dora. She cracked her yeah. her uh beak. Oh crap. Yeah, I remember that. That was yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I think Dora might have been the one that killed the black vulture, which we didn't uh, we didn't talk about when we did the post hunt podcast. But I think the statute of limitations has run out on that. That had to be a decade ago. So sorry, Sheldon, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, dude, Sheldon's awesome people. Yeah, my favorite That's little cool. African. <laughs> That's funny. Small world in this community that you're part of, for sure. Yeah, they've done the Ducks Unlimited thing for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they always come to our Dallas banquet, which we appreciate. And uh, like I said, I appreciate your time, Tyler. And yeah, I look forward to sometime uh, meeting you and, and spending a day in the field. Be awesome. All right, man. Thanks for having me. So there he goes, Tyler Sladen, a.k.a. the Quail Hawk. That was certainly outside of the box for us. But as someone who loves bird dogs and is fascinated by birds of prey, I mean, yeah, it was a natural fit. I want to know what this guy was up to. Um, that segment of the show was brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Coming up next, we'll head across the pond and find out what our SCI constituents are doing to protect our hunting heritage in Europe. It's uh, Dr. Miguel Estade and Juan Maguez joining us right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I found her on the first warm day Rain had washed the snow away Gone for wood and lost her way back home. Night can believes in ghosts, but some nights I get pretty close. When the North Dakota went among. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch, here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. You'd rather travel down the Welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg. This segment is brought to you by SCI. Let me tell you, we had a heck of a good time in Nashville last week. And if you haven't attended an SCI show before, uh, 
The dates for next year are out. It will be January 22nd through the 25th, once again, in Music City. Uh, I hope to see you there because, it, man, it truly, the entire global hunting community converges in Nashville for four or five days for it's a celebration. It's a party. It's a place where you can book your, your bucket list hunt or fishing expedition. I think there was 113 different countries represented at this year's show. Um, so anyway, save the date. Hope to see you there next year. SCI first for hunters. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take a listen to the conversation I taped in Nashville with Dr. Miguel Estade, president of the European Committee of SCI, and Juan Magas, the SCI European liaison. It's uh, Dr. Miguel Estade? Yes. Estade. Cor okay. Correct. Perfect. And uh, where are you from? I am born in Spain, uh -huh. and I share my life between Spain and Switzerland because I work as a neurologist in Switzerland from uh, 1980. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Neurologist. And we also have Juan Magas with exactly. us. Very nice pronunciation. Yes. Um, and you are from? I'm half Dutch, half Spanish. Okay. And I'm working and living now in Brussels. Uh -huh. And my family is living in Austria. So I feel myself as a true European. Okay. Very nice. And so please uh, tell me a little bit about what you do and how you work with Safari Club. Okay. Uh, I begin to be a member of Safari Club in the 80s uh -huh. and uh, from 2000 more or less I am involved uh, to be in, in the board. Uh, I have been chapter president and then I have been uh, chairman of the IDC mm. and uh, then international director during the all that, that time and now I am the chairman of the European Committee for SCI. Oh wow, so all, like all of the European countries and protecting their uh, hunting heritage and, and rights? Yes, so we, we, we found the need to make all the different chapters together uh -huh. uh, on the, all the different SCI members together uh, under the European Committee. So we, we st start uh, just uh, before the, the, the pandemic, and uh, that's retained us uh, a little. Uh -huh. But uh, now we are very happy because we have improving membership uh, year by year. So we are very happy. We have very active uh, chapters. And uh, now the committee begins to work uh, I can say quite well. And some of the things we're working on right now, uh, in European conservation, roe deer in Portugal and black grouse in Switzerland. Yes, correct. We, we make uh, uh, a meeting to, to see which uh, project, conservation project we'll, we'll, we will do with the he help of the foundation, SCA foundation mm -hmm. and from Two years ago, now we we are on the black uh, blackbird, black cock in Switzerland. It's a very orgi original project because uh, uh, we 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 see that the black cock was going down because there was some invasive plants that don't allow to to the birds to cover as mm. uh, they wanted, 
and now we introduce goats. 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 Yes, oh. goats. We we buy goats. We 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 rent the the, the shepherd, and uh, to put uh, plugs to protect because the wolf. We have a problem. The wolf come to eat the, the goats, and the Switzerland goat has a wolf problem. A lot. Oh wow. Europe, perhaps. You, you see, we never hear about. It. I mean, we have our own wolf issues in this country, bad ones, and we're just making it worse. You know, with Colorado, what they just did. Yeah. But I don't ever see pictures of Europeans hunting wolves. Are they protected uh, there? Yes, but now, fortunately, with the help of uh, SCI and other organizations, they are thinking to reopen hunting huh. and to control. Yeah. But there are a lot of wolves. Mm. So the, the goats eat the plant, and so the black cock can cover as well. That uh -huh. is one thing. And the other thing is the reintroduction of the, re, uh, the Reebok uh -huh. in Portugal. Uh, and now it's growing with the help of the, uh, the Portuguese university. And uh, mm. that's uh, worked quite a lot. Huh, very interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't realize you guys had a big wolf problem. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah, may maybe I can add to that that uh, the European Commission is now revising, uh, revising the the legislation in order to reclassify the wolf as special from special endangered uh, species to endangered endangered people uh, species. So that will allow the uh, national member states uh, to regulate positively and allow hunting under certain conditions, oh. of course. But uh, the program also includes uh, the bear, which is al also a big problem, mm. and the lynx in mm. some areas. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean that it's open hunt. Right. It's controlled. But they see the need. They see the need because, yeah. uh, and then you, you have the bad motor and good motor in Spain, but you have worse models in Austria, for example. In Austria, it's already allowed uh -huh. under certain conditions. Um, but now the U European Union is going to legislate differently. And it all came, and that's very interesting, because uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who is president of the European Commission, she had a donkey, and this donkey was killed by a wolf. Huh. Ursula. Ursula from the way. I know Ursula. They, uh, <laughs> this other podcast that I listen to, they call her Queen Ursula. Yeah, Queen <laughs> Ursula. <laughs> and they don't, it's not a nice, uh, a nice nickname, I don't think. No, no, she doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, I did want to talk about the uh, advocacy work. You know, education is so important. We are fighting this. Sometimes it seems like it's a losing battle in, you know, from a PR perspective, and social media sometimes is our worst enemy. Um, but you guys just had a uh, a study, I guess, and it is, what is it? Sixty percent of legislation comes from the EU. Um, talk about the work that you do there. On well, I'm just looking at this run sheet here: lead ban, uh, traveling with firearms, and uh, yeah, I've I've traveled to Mexico and and South Africa and. The place for me that's the hardest now to get a firearm into, which is the biggest headache, is Canada. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. They changed the legislation now in Canada. It's, it's, it's difficult. In Europe, from the European countries, we have uh, the European uh, gun passport. Mm -hmm. So it's quite easy. Mm. Uh, if you belong to uh, Schengen, what they say, Schengen Treat, who is the European uh, Union, 
countries and some other like Norway or Switzerland who belongs uh, to the Schengen area. So with that passport, uh, you can circulate with no mm. other uh, documents. It's quite easy. And what about for an American hunter, though? Uh, for American hunter, it's much more complicated. Yeah. So the outfitter must, uh, um, who hunt with, must to arrange all the papers, mm -hmm. uh, paperwork. But it's not too difficult. Mm -hmm. It depends on the countries. For example, uh, Austria is easy, easy, easy. And other countries like uh, UK is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So it's depend. But uh, don't bring your gun. Uh, without to be sure that you have all the papers. Mm -hmm. I tr so I, I've flown to Africa six or seven times, and uh, one time I flew through London, pain in the butt. Not that was London Heathrow. Never again. Yeah. <laughs> Always fly to the Middle East now yeah. and then yeah. fly to Africa. It's much better. Yeah. There are three airports to avoid in Europe for gu for guns. It's Heathrow, it's uh, Amsterdam, yeah. and it's Frankfurt. Okay, that's you must avoid that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about the the good news out of France. And this just happened, right? Because I was talking with Juan on uh, Wednesday, and we were concerned that France might be, well, it would have been very bad if they passed this trophy import and um, export ban, right? Uh, but we apparently got good news. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's always the same in Europe. They are, I think it's in the world. One is the politics, and the other is the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in, in France, like in uh, Spain, like in Italy, they are a very, very old uh, hunting tradition. And uh, the rural um, people are pro-hunting. Mm -hmm. The problem is they are not well represented in the government. But when things begin to, to go wrong, then they manifest. Uh -huh. They go, for example, uh, one year ago in Spain, half million hunters go in the, uh, to the street in Madrid. Then the government say, hello, oh, be careful because there are votes. The same happened in France uh -huh. uh, and the same are happening in, 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 in Brussels. Yeah, in, in Belgium, but in Belgium, unfortunately, we lost. It was also just last week approved, five days ago from today. And um, uh, and last night, the French Parliament uh, didn't pass the vote for this uh, trophy ban. Uh, what I want to ask, uh, to, uh, to add also to this, is that uh, many times these bans are politically motivated. Uh -huh. It's not by coincidence that suddenly uh, uh, someone who belongs in the coalition government from Ecolo um, when you have elections in four months, she pops up and she wants this trophy, trophy ban, banning uh -huh. as an asset to run for her own campaign. Oh, yeah. So sometimes it's also politically motivated. You have also political motivation in France uh, because they will have also in 2025 national elections. Uh, so it's also not by coincidence that these bans uh, show up in the political agenda just before or when the parliamentary terms uh, start to come to an end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, in the UK, to give an update to our listeners, um, the ban was uh, put aside, but the one week, not 10 days ago, 
another member of parliament introduced exactly the same plan. <laughs> so, again, we have to monitor. Uh, sometimes it's just like we're beating our heads against the wall. Exactly. The ban is already in the Netherlands, but we are following also processes. Uh, it was uh, also stopped in Italy uh, mid no, last year. Uh, in Finland, you know, also some movements, but it depends always on the government. Mm -hmm. So one of my duties is also to monitor these mo uh, movement, political movements, and report them to our SCI friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw political parties align in uh, British Columbia. It's probably been seven or eight years ago when they banned the uh, grizzly hunt. And I went on a trapline trip there for wolf and lynx and um, pine martens and wolverines and all cool stuff. But uh, those guys had traditionally, they were two brothers, and, and they come to the convention. And they lost two grizzly tags, which was basically like $40,000 that they d kind of depended on, you know. And for no, no science to back that up, but there was, I think, uh, those people, I think the Green Party, ran on a platform of we're going to get grizzly bear hunting banned. And then they joined up with the other left-leaning party to combine their votes and, you know, uh, out outvote the uh, conservative, I guess, pro-hunting party. I don't know the names of their political factions yeah. in Canada, but that's the summary of what they did. And now they have too many grizzlies. I mean, it's so obvious what the result's going to be. Hey, we banned wolf hunting in Europe yeah. years ago. Now we have too many wolves. Who would have thought? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I know you have another appointment to get to, but yes. it was very nice meeting you, gentlemen. Thank you for coming here and just giving us a little behind-the-scenes look at uh, what you guys are fighting for across the pond in Europe. Um, because a lot of times you see this stuff originate in Europe, and then it doesn't take well, maybe three years, maybe five years, but it ends up here too. No, but also the, the other way around. Mm. Yeah. Well, you can thank California for that. <laughs> Maybe I just can say one thing. Very important sure. is a new, uh, recent new is uh, is a survey has been done, the YouGov survey, uh -huh. where it have been done in five countries, European countries, uh, because uh, uh, all the um, president survey was being done by the ecologists and the Greens parties, and uh, the results. It's about. Seven, seven, uh, seventy-seven percent of Europeans are pro or neutral ah. for, wow. for hunting. That uh -huh. is very important. Yeah, that's uh, that's more than I would have thought. And, and based off of what the the news and the media try to tell you, right? Okay. Exactly. The picture that they're painting, you would think that it was seventy-seven percent are against hunting. Yeah. Yeah. But that 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 was a survey uh, of human 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 uh, society international. Mm -hmm which are our opponents, but we could prove with good questions, not really bad, but, but more precise questions, that um, uh, less emotional, more neutral questions, that uh, the civil society in Europe is quite pro-hunting. Mm. It's a tradition, it's a culture, and uh, we have to protect that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen, yeah. very much for your time. It was thank pleasure. you very much. Thank you very much. We are enjoying here and hope to hear you soon again in the next podcast. Yes, absolutely. So there they go. And I would like to sit down and visit with them again in more depth uh, in the future. But Dr. Miguel Estade, our president of the European Committee for SCI, and then our SCI European liaison, Juan Magas. Uh, thanks for all of their efforts and for jumping on the show uh, that segment of the presentation was brought to you by John X Safaris. 
I told you, the convention is the place to book your bucket list hunt. And uh, I just re-upped. I have 2025 and 26 dates on the calendar, uh, July of uh, both of those years. So if you're interested in you know joining me on the safari of a lifetime, then uh, shoot me an email, lonestaroutdoorshow at gmail.com, and I will shoot you over that info. And those will be, by the way, those will be my eighth and ninth safaris with John X. So uh, if that tells you anything about how much I enjoy it. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to our guest, uh, Tyler Sladen, the Quail Hawk, uh, as well as Dr. Estade and Juan Magaz. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Body's broken and bone shattered, blood and dust in your mouth. Getting weary, but you're running with the few and the proud. Sometimes you wonder why you went. You never wonder what you stayed on for. You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting.